Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer, or enthusiast, it's really great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked, where we bring you a cup of crypto every week and unstack everything from crypto finance to global macroeconomics. This podcast assumes basic knowledge of crypto and aims to explore some more advanced topics about the crypto markets, such as trading strategies, lending, and derivatives. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group. In this bonus episode, Nicola and I continue to unstack the world of on-chain options trading. We talk through the advantages and disadvantages of the current models and how they stack up to the models we see in the CeFi space today. He also proposes building a new DeFi primitive focusing on volatility as an asset class. Specifically, he talks through the possibilities of creating a volatility-related pool and how this could be a tool for hedging portfolios and down the line for structuring products in DeFi. I learned an incredible amount preparing for this episode, and I really think you'll enjoy hearing all the interesting ideas Nicola brings to the table about broadening the on-chain options trading design space. As always, thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for making time to do a bonus episode on Crypto Unstacked. If you guys haven't listened to the previous episode with Nicola, I would highly recommend you tune in as he brings us through the evolution of automated market-making designs and gives us a primer on our topic for this episode, which is on DeFi options trading. So throughout the series, Nicola, I'm realizing just how much of a an experimental force DeFi is for the crypto space. And it's really enabling people to design financial primitives never thought possible. And in doing so, decentralizing financial instruments and creating greater access to sophisticated financial tools. As a former derivatives trader, you probably think a lot about broadening the design space for derivatives products in DeFi and in the last episode, we covered Open and Hedgic, which are two on-chain options trading protocols. And specifically, we explored the framework of pooled options protocols, looking at both the advantages and disadvantages of that model. So in this bonus episode, we're going to focus on the concept of volatility and automated market makers. So with that said, Nicola, why don't you help to set the stage here and give us a rundown of your thoughts about the current options trading landscape in DeFi, just for those listeners who didn't tune into the previous episode, and how that stacks up to the traditional options trading world where you come from. Sure, sure. Great to be back. Let's start with the traditional option trading world as an extremely old legacy. 
just think that the very first one who tried to make sense of warrants and back in Paris, I think it was uh, Louis Bachelier on the late 19th century. So we're talking about 120 years of history, trying to make sense of those products. Uh, it got then legitimized and, and fairly started, you know, with the famous Black and Schultz and Merton models and, and so on and so forth. But the history really goes back way, way farther than that. The traditional word basically sees options traded from retail, institutional, many kind of players. Myself, I was always in the institutional side. So my counterparts were usually hedge funds, pension funds, asset managers, and banks sometimes. So this sophistication there was quite extreme, I would say. On the other side, there was always a professional and the trade was always made between pretty much two professionals. Right now, what we see in DeFi, it, it's the opposite side of the spectrum in the sense that we see a lot of experimentation, a lot of trial and error. We see new models coming up. And I really think that this is the way to do it. It's fair enough and it's a beautiful way in a sense. Right now, we have few teams that launched products and we have several coming that wants to expand and find basically new ways of, of exploring this quite versatile product, which is you know options and volatility more in general. What do you think's missing right now? What do you think the future DeFi financial primitive will look like? What I can see is that the DeFi word came to the space with the most intuitive way, right? Which is the protection, which is the insurance side of the option. And that makes a lot of sense. It was quite intuitive to do that. And what teams are trying to tackle is basically, let's protect your assets. And, the, and that's from the buyer perspective. From the seller perspective, teams have approached the, uh, the space as a additional interest on your assets. It is an additional income. I'm talking about selling options but it has a whole lot of implications that we need to study more, I would say, to manage the risks better. Yeah. In the last episode, you talked about how people tend to think of options in crypto more as a linear product. Could you expand more on what you mean by linear? Sure. Well, basically, teams have, in my opinion right now, just looked at it as a first order. So they looked at the market participants, they look at their biases, and with linearity, I mean that in this preliminary stage, teams have looked at the what buyers and what sellers would go to the market for, right? So in case of buyers, it's pretty straightforward. They buy in protection and they're long an asset and they want to just buy a sort of an insurance for it. And, and that's the case of a put. It makes a lot of sense. And on the upside, the buyers of calls, well, it's very simple, right? Like they just want exposure to the price rising. So we won't, we won't go to that. On the seller side, they approach it in a way that fairly straightforward, but considering just half of the story. Obviously, if you sell calls, you have something called call overwriting, which is selling calls on, on assets that you pretty much own. And, and that's also what facilitated the collateral. And on selling puts, the idea is to 
sell you know an insurance and selling a put means that you sell the right to sell you an asset so in this case we can think about a seller of a put which is willing to buy the underlying asset at a lower prices and would be happy to do so right worst case scenario i'm going to buy this specific asset at this very low price so it's not too bad so the angle so far linearity is getting an extra income on your holdings but there is a lot more to that and a lot more hidden risks i would say yeah so selling call options is a bullish strategy right yes well in a way what what happens is that the vast majority if you want to call it of the market participants are usually long the market mm-hmm. right otherwise we wouldn't have markets going up for for heaven and ever um, especially on the equity side the vast majority of market participants are long so what they want to do is to earn an extra income selling upside calls and in a way they are happy to cup their profit mm-hmm. to a certain level but that risk would be mitigated by the obviously holding the underline and the additional premium of selling the call basically so it's a strategy which is very very common there are also ETFs there are also funds that just do that they they're long the underlying and then selling calls which is obviously in a vast majority not vast majority depending on which market but in in a fair enough number of cases is more profitable than just holding the underlying what are some factors then we should consider when dealing with the set or the range of options that are available out there right because from my understanding the market doesn't only just cater to these directional traders and so how do we develop a model that deals with volatility and make make that the feature that people can actually trade yeah so that's the whole point if you trade options and if you deal with options if you want to structure or device any option product you can't really leave volatility outside the door <laughs> it just comes with that stepping back volatility to analyze carefully what what it means basically bringing volatility into the pool brings a whole set of component that can change the price itself so what drove so much interest volumes and sophistication into the option markets which is maybe 30 40 if not more years old in the traditional market has been the convexity and and how the convexity is intertwined with volatility well convexity simply is the non-linearity relationship between the price of the options and the price of the underlying so it's what you might have heard for gamma so if you look through the lens of risk volatility is a simple measure of risking to hold the asset so how much is this asset risky and how much you want to pay for it so that's what pretty much volatility would mean um when you deal with volatility obviously there is a risk premium which is the protection you want to pay and there is also something called skew so the best way to understand the risk premium and, and the skew which they go hand on hand is to think that usually investors are risk averse 
nobody wants to lose money. <laughs> I mean, I still have to meet somebody who loves to, to lose money, right? And this is very important because it's driver for directing supply and demand for any volatility market, any product that has to do with volatility. So any volatility related pool. With that, I mean that the pool should have a mechanism that reflects the appetite for protection. It's what in the traditional market is the skew, which is simply a, a line on a chart that shows you the different implied volatilities compared to the strike. So how much in terms of volatility are you paying for a certain given protection? So let's make it very simple. You have an underline, which is $100. And in solely terms of volatility, right? Buying global protection, so starting from 100 to 90 to an $80 strike, in theory, you should pay more for lower strikes. So uh, in terms of volatility, a $100 strike should be cheaper than a 90, and 90 should be cheaper than 80. That's the, that's the skew, basically. So this is very important because it makes any pool writing puts on different strikes much more dynamic and flexible in terms of the premium that you collect and the risk exposure. So this skew protection starts a very, very interesting discussion on how shared is that risk among the pool. So in other words, who is paying for that risk and who is, is exposed to that risk and who shares that premium? And I'm very, very curious to see how those, you know, models that will come up will deal with that. Because volatility itself, it's directional. So, you know, volatility goes up when the markets go down most of the time. And, and throughout those market lands, a volatility-related pool could be seen as a, you know, a short-term inverse of the market level which is a great, great use case in my opinion. Right. So you just said volatility is in effect path dependent, right? Correct. In the traditional option space, I guess one trade that is very popular is delta hedging. Yes. So could you talk a bit about that? Because I, I feel like that will give us a lot of background and color on sort of the rest of our conversation as we expand on how that might be possible in a volatility related pool. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you touched a very, very good point, which is isolating volatility. So delta hedging, in my view, is a way to isolate volatility. People trade options like big institutions or hedge funds, but I'm talking about people dedicated to options, right? They're all called volatility traders or volatility fund or a volatility desk. What it means is that they are trading volatility as an asset class. So the real goal of those trading people, the trading desks and trading funds is to get a sort of disconnection from the direction of the price compared to the underlying and the price of the option. So they want to isolate volatility. In this way, you can pretty much expose yourself to pure volatility. Uh, the way to do that is basically dynamically, I'm talking about delta edging. It's basically a continuous buy and selling. By continuous, I mean, once a day, pretty much, buying and selling on underlying to make the option neutral to the movement underlying itself. So you're isolating the volatility PNL, which is the profit and loss. So delta represents 
simply how much the price of the option will change accordingly to a move of the underlying assets. So that quantity is known at any given time. So traders can isolate their risk pretty well. You know, that's very, very, very important. And it, it brings us to the next step of trading options, which is the, the gamma. Mm -hmm. That's definitely very interesting. I guess before we move forward, it would be good to just pause on gamma because this is one of the options Greeks. There are several. So could you just give us like a bullet point for the various options Greek? I forgot to ask that earlier. I think that would be helpful for our listeners because we're, we're going to be coming back to this quite a bit. Sure. Very high level. So delta is the change of the options price compared to the underlying. The, and that's the first derivative, basically. The gamma is the second derivative. So it's the first derivative of the delta, which means that how much and how quickly the delta changes. And you're usually um, buying gamma, buying convexity and long volatility and long options when you buy, obviously. So if you buy a call or if you buy a put, you are longing gamma on both cases. Theta, it's how much you pay for holding the options. It's the time decay. It's how much the options price, if nothing changes in terms of other factors don't change, how much time passing affect my option price. And then the last one is, is Vega, which means the pure exposure to volatility. So with Vega, you want to see how much the changes in implied volatility is going to affect your pricing. So that's a high level for the Greeks. Then, of course, the questions that I would have if I was a listener right now is, OK, well, you isolating the price and you isolating the risk of the price, you isolating only to volatility, where, where do I make money, right, <laughs> at the end of the day? Well, the answer is really into the gamma theta relationship. So after we, you know, we understood how delta edging means and, and basically we are left only, and I say only quote unquote, with the sensitivity to the volatility. So you are paying to be long gamma and the price to pay is the time decay. You know, if you go through an example, very simple example of a delta hedged PL, what's called gamma scalping? You might have heard of it. Suppose you have a call options and, and to make that position immediately delta neutral, so edged, uh, you need to sell an amount of underlying basically, which is equivalent to the delta of that option. So you're taking care, let's say, on the price movement of the underlying. So the PNL comes by frequently readjusting this delta hedge, which is the sensitivity to the direction of the underlying, over the time lifetime of the option. So the profit and loss will then come from the cumulative, so day after day action, of rebalancing the underlying amount held. This is what is really referred as the gamma PNL, and the price to pay, as I said, is the theta because. Theta decreases the price of the options with the time passing. And gamma, as I said, is the gear of the option. So it's, it's, it's what amplifies the PNL. So now we have the critical part where how is this gamma scalping actually made? How do we make money? Well, to make things very easy, let's, let's bring the observation to one day, right? Let's say that we have one day 
options and, and, and one day observation. Well, the gamma measures the convexity of either the option or say the volatility related if you have a pool or if you have any structure. So this curvature will always work in the favor of the people they are longing the option and they will always work in favor of large moves that will outperform the replicated hedge in both directions. So I'm edged with the delta, but the gamma, it's actually overperforming that movement. And that's where the gamma PNL comes. And if you extend these on a life on an option, so say like 30 days over 100 days, you sum up all the daily PNL that you will have. That's pretty much the way that, that it works. So when you have a delta edged option, the PNL can be think as a daily accrual of a of the difference basically between the realized volatility and the implied volatility. This is very, very important because the realized volatility is what the market actually does and how much the market moves. And the implied volatility is what you have been buying in the first day, and it's intrinsic in your premium. So relatively to how much is moving compared to how much I paid for it, that's where the volatility comes. That's why an option trader is called volatility traders, because they get view on volatility, not really on a direction. That actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, just listening to you talk through that example, it just seems like it really requires active management to manage all of these delta hedge positions, right? Exactly. So would a volatility-related pool be able to more or less automate that? Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think it's a great use case because even in real time and in real life, delta hedging, it's a strategy because you can, you know, somehow cut your profit, you can buy or sell too early. So it's something studied even in the traditional market and the volatility related pool could actually outsource that job for traders or for sellers. So why would I build a volatility pool in that sense, right? Like why would be beneficial to trade and to gain exposure through a volatility pool or selling option through a volatility pool? Well, first of all, uh, you can take a directional view on volatility, right? And, and you could do it for portfolio reasons, for diversification, whatever you want to call it. But that's extremely, extremely important use case. Now that we explain a little bit of how it works or what it really means to trade volatility or include volatility products into a pool, well, it, I believe it's very, very important to, to answer the question like a design choice would make a huge difference here. And when you're actually structuring one product or one volatility pool, you need to make strong design choices on the financial engineering of it. So I don't think that there is an answer right now that fits for whole. That's a, a clarification I want to make because... You know, it's also the beauty of DeFi, right? You, you, you can't think that one pool and one design would suit all the different use cases and will work for all the volatility mm -hmm. products. So volatility is a very fairly versatile product. And it's a little bit more complex, obviously, to understand that a 
future or, or simply holding a stock, but it's still something, you know, that it's fully explorable. And, and depending on what design choice you make, and here I want to be very clear, like I, I, I'm not proposing anything specific or I don't want to cut any wings or existing team that are doing something or close any doors to new possible design. But some of the futures of the variables that we might discuss later on on how to design a pool, well, they, they might be different for any use case. So they might be worth for one use case and they might not worth for another structure. So with that, I mean that issuing a pool that sells only codes, for example, or only puts, or selling one underlying or multiple underlines, they have a completely different payoff and they have completely different implications. And that's you know a very important clarification that I wanted to make. Because in DeFi right now, everything is possible and this is the beauty of it. I'm all in for new experimentation, basically. So before we move on to the next topic, let's take a quick break and hear a few words about Amber Group. This episode of the Crypto Unstacked podcast is presented by Amber Group. Amber Group is a fully integrated crypto finance platform offering a suite of secondary market services across trading, wealth management, and financing solutions. We are backed by some amazing investors such as Paradigm and Pantera and work with clients and partners all over the world. Head on over to ambergroup.io to learn more about us. That's A-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-U-P dot I-O. Before we talk about more of the anatomy of a volatility pool, because I know you have some very interesting thoughts there, why don't we talk about the people involved, right? Who are the market participants that these volatility pools will attract? Who are the buyers and who are the liquidity providers? Well, yes, that's, uh, I think it goes really on hand-to-hand with the um, use cases, right? So as we said, you can have a volatility view and, and get exposure to pure volatility. You, you, you might have hedging purposes. You might diversify your portfolio. You might want to trade spread. So I think the, the answer to these and the answer to who are the players is really whoever is confident enough or sophisticated enough to understand the payoff of the pool and position herself as a market participant. So buyers can get an exposure to upside, protecting their downside. They can get exposure to the wings. You know, when you talk about convexity and gamma, you also talk about the wings. So large price movements, right? Which is the real convexity trade. So I have to say that options, even if you can lose all your capital, the buyers of options, funnily enough, are on the safest side of the trade. And now you can say, oh, well, (laughs) that's a little bit strange. How can be the safest guy, the one who's going to lose it all? Where the answer is that it can go really worse than that. Because in the case of a seller, if it's an edge in the real world, things can be very, very brutal. So shorting volatility means shorting on a leverage, but exponentially risky, basically. So selling options has historically been a profitable but risky exercise. And you really need to have a view on volatility. So the profitability side of the equation, it's tricky because it's known, it's the premium. And you get the premium as a seller, you get the premium right away, it's in your pocket. But the 
riskiness, it comes really later on and it has very different forms. It can come from unlimited losses to, you know, non-linear payout and, you know, crazy, crazy scenarios of black swan. So selling options is not really increase your income or earning or yield farming or lending. It's a completely different exercise. So this is something I hope that any team will stress because the risk is to sell a sort of product that, you know, it's just a simple additional earning on your on your assets and then you end up with nothing right so uh, it needs to be clarified that there are some additional risks in volatility pools in this case the liquidity providers i mean i wouldn't want to be one in a pool during march right i mean i would have been screwed yes well um selling volatility it cannot be one-off because you can you can really get hurt. So usually what you see in the traditional market of, of sellers are recurrent sellers. So it's a strategy that it basically makes a little bit on the vast majority of the time, and then you have big losses. So it really depends on your risk profile and I do believe, and that's the beauty of the space, it's that options are, are not something that you should see, you know, as an isolated product. You have to see on a portfolio optic. You can use it for improving your portfolio setup. And, and that's, I think it's important because if you want to trade only options and you are only a seller in, I don't know, this week, you might be very, very, very hurt. While if you run a one-year, two-year strategies, then most likely you can be lucky enough to offset the unlucky days. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. the, the contract periods for this potential hypothetical volatility pool would be short duration, right? That's interesting. Uh, right now we saw a shorter structure, uh, usually a month or so, but it could be longer. It really depends on the underlying assets. It depends on the behavior of the underlying assets. It depends on the implied volatility that they come with. And you also also depends on the correlation of the assets that you want to sort of insure, mm. right? So obviously, if you only get exposure as a liquidity provider to one specific asset and one specific maturity or one specific time frame, well, that's very risky. If you try to find a way to aggregate different assets, different maturities, different, you know, optionalities, I would say, well, that could play out quite nicely and spread the risk basically across the liquidity providers in a more efficient way. We've been talking so much about the use case. Why don't you paint us a mental model for the various components that you're thinking should go into a volatility pool? If, if I have to think about what a perfect, and trust me, I did. <laughs> if I have to think about what a perfect volatility would look like, I, I can't honestly come up with one. And 
I think it's because the use case will dictate one design. Obviously, what I would like to see in a volatility-related pool, it's a sort of relationship with convexity and risk even in, in very basic terms. Buying from a volatility pool should cost me more when the volatility is high and for a very volatile underlying. And if volatility is unlike to change much, then the convexity and the volatility-related pool will be, you know, worth less. And it should just trade, let's say, a little bit above the add-the-money volatility that you can find on a related centralized exchange or any option exchange. Another relationship is obviously the convexity and the skew. So bringing the the conversation regarding the convexity a little bit forward, well, depending on the obviously final design and final payoff and the coverage, which is very important of the volatility related pool, I would envision like mark-to-market prices having significant exposure to like the overall skew and convexity in case of pools priced on the entire curve. And with that, I mean that if I am you know, selling or buying, because that's the same thing, the whole curve, if my pool is covering protection on a whole lot of range of strikes, well, that needs to be priced in. And that's what I mean with the relationship between the price of the product and the skew. So if the skew and the convexity, you know, instantaneously increase of and nothing else changes, well, the pool should become more expensive in a way. So a vast majority of the volatility pools that I can think of should be short skew and short convexity, which makes them very risky. And, and with that, I mean the the volatility pools, so the sellers, the liquidity providers, when they enter in the pool, when they provide liquidity, well, they most likely need to know that they're going to be shorting skew and shorting convexity, at least on the simplest design. A pool could, uh, you know, become then a really sophisticated tool for buyers to get an exposure to convexity while shorting some delta hedged at the money straddle. And that could be very cool, right? Because you know that that pool gives you exposure to the wings, but then you want to offset the price with the add the money straddle that you can sell. So have that sort of trades. Obviously, this is a little bit more sophisticated than just buying an option, buying a call and, and forget about it. Another interesting point to touch, obviously, depending on the final design, and I go back to what you just mentioned about the time, it's the term structure, which is quite known in the bond market and also on the options. Basically, depending of, on, on the final design and the coverage of the pool and the assets and how sophisticated the pool would be, I could think of a variety of, of long and short setups that could lead to very, very interesting dynamics on the curve. What do I mean with that? Is that I can be shorting and I could be a liquidity provider, but I can also be a buyer of a specific product in the same pool, basically creating a unique payoff that suits my portfolio. So I could be both. And, and that's what happens somehow in the real market where you have what it called spreads or calendar, right? You might be a buyer 
of a three months volatility because I think that things are going to get nuts uh, because of the virus coming back in, in, in the autumn. But I can say, look, it's going to be all fine in one year or so. So I can be a buyer of volatility in three months, but a seller of volatility in one year term. So in that case, I would be buyer of Gamma and I would be a seller of Vega. And that's the ultimate terminology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, if we break this down into just very simple terms, let's take a call, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, call spreads are very interesting. And, and that basically just means you're buying and selling an equal number of um, call options simultaneously, right? And these are actually cheaper than buying vanilla calls. Am I correct there? Well, yes. If you if you long the spread, basically on any spread, you can buy a, a call spread or put spread. It's cheaper because you are basically doing two things simultaneously. You're buying an option, which comes with a price, but you're also selling an option, which gives you a premium. So what you're really doing are you are buying an exposure to a specific range of prices. Let's make a very, very simple example. So the underlying, it trades $100. And I am bullish and I'm saying, look, I think that this underlying is going to go to 120. What's the best strategy? I can buy a call right now and you know sit on it. It would be quite expensive on a hundred strike. But what I can also do and would be cheaper, as you correctly said, is I say buy a, a 110 cold strike and selling a 120 call strike. So in that case, I, I'm capping my possible profit because I'm going to make money from 110 to 120. I'm not going to make money over 120. So I'm, I'm capping my payoff. But at the same time, I'm paying less for the options because, of course, I get premium for the 120 options that I'm selling. And this is something that, you know, it's it's very common. And I would be very, very curious to see some similar strategies in the um, in the option pool and in DeFi. And I think it's going to be one of the way to go uh, simply because of collateral. What, the, what do I mean? Is that obviously if you have a cap, you require less collateral both sides, right? You have less exposure, you have less risk, you know, you need less collateral, as simple as that. Right. If I'm a trader, you know, I, I have a position on Deribit. Would I hedge on open or hedgic? Yeah, good question. Good question. So I don't have an answer, specific answer for this. But what I think is that right now, the direction we have seen is let's create a product which is as similar and as identical to something centralized and to something that people know. And, and this is one approach, right? Like, let's make an option the way everybody knows it for you know decades, decentralized. That's it. And that's the first statement. Uh, it's a fair goal to achieve, and it's not an easy one. But another completely different route would be, well, decentralization and collateral and you know all these defied peculiarities well they come with different futures and with different risks and with different payoffs so you know what i cannot really make an options identical on derivatives 
And why not to make a new primitive? Why not to make something that behaves as an option, but is slightly different or is slightly better, right? And this is why I'm so fascinated about the space and so optimistic because I do think you can make an option and replicate that and, and hedge on there a bit or vice versa, buying on centralized and selling on decentralized or vice versa. And that could be possible. Right now, obviously, there are implications, especially on, on the uh, Uniswap side and the continuous market making adjustment of the prices on, on the centralized exchange. But let's make it possible in the future. So I see that a viable way, but I also think that there is a lot of room for a new volatility product and primitive, which is unique to crypto and unique to DeFi. Fascinating. As we wrap up here, Nicola, I just wanted to ask you, do you have any closing thoughts on this manifesto of yours um, as you're thinking about you know, how to broaden the design space for on-chain options, trading? Any takeaways for our listeners? Well, first of all, I, I want to um, encourage everybody who is designing these very challenging products to, you know, keep tight and go on against how difficult it could be and how complicated and, you know, don't stop because um, it's complicated and it requires a lot of more financial engineering, I would say. But I do believe that we will slowly converge to say a single purpose strategy maybe might be the easier way to go. So creating a pool that does one thing not in terms of asset coverage, but in terms of use cases. As we said, more plausible models could be spreads or could be call only or put only or a combination of two. We have seen also something very interesting on decentralized world with the contracts uh, move from FTX, for example. Uh, that's quite interesting. Something could be brought to the DeFi space. I think there is some room, but you know, there is also an interesting route, which is the correlation and dispersion. You know, I see pools trading correlation and dispersions, which is basically the relationship between how two assets uh, move compared to the other, which is very, very, very fair. So very important is risk mitigation, right? You don't want to have a product out on the wild and then liquidity providers get completely wide up and, and you know, the pool is gone. So it needs for financial engineering. But, you know, collateral and margins, they will definitely play a, a big role. So it will depend a lot, obviously, of, of the requirements and, and, and the role of margin. And uh, we have to see how they play out. The use case for, for trades are the use case for, for the pools. So you will have traders approaching a pool if they, they see themselves gaining their risk. Pure volatility poor directional hedging and biases, volatility across time and volatility across assets. I, I really believe that, you know, it will take time, but will bring enough sophistication to the space and not more sophistication into the centralized and the cryptocurrency world. I, I believe that the beauty of here is the low buyer of entry, right? So no one can walk to Goldman Sachs and, and shout at the trading floor, well, uh, you know, hey, guys, I, I invented this new product. Well, 
they would be probably stopped at the reception or they, they wouldn't make it to the they wouldn't make it to the elevator <laughs> while in defi it works the opposite way you just create something you put it out on the wild you warn investors and liquidity providers and buyers and you see how the market react and that's really the beauty of it well said and with that nicola thanks for giving our listeners a taste of what may be coming down the pike in the world of DeFi options. I'll be posting details in the show notes, linking to Lemnus Cap's Twitter and website for any listeners out there who are interested in getting in touch and learning more about what we've been talking about for probably the last hour or so, and also the previous episode. And I'm sure we'll be catching up again very soon. Thanks again, Nicola. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. As always, hope you enjoyed this week's Cup of Crypto. If you like what you heard, please share and subscribe on Spotify and anchor.fm slash crypto unstacked. Do engage with us through social media. I'll provide details in the show notes and connect with me on Twitter at Les Lambo. That's L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Would love to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and see you at our next episode. <laughs>